0: But we have finally made it to Christmas Day. Hey, Merry Christmas, everybody, and a Happy New Year, okay? It's kind of cold outside. Hopefully, you're staying safe and warm today and enjoying time with your family. You know, we've been lighting the Advent wreath every Sunday in uh, expectation of the coming of Christ, and we're finally here. Uh, This is the day we celebrate that Jesus came, And when he comes, he comes in the most unexpected way. So we light the Christ candle to signify the coming of Christ. And we read probably the most famous passage of Scripture and really all of human culture and human history. Luke chapter 2. It says, In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first Registration When Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with his, with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Amen. I want to share with you really just the message of the angel today. He had a three-point message, and I'm going to have a three-point message. Good news, great joy, all people. Good news, great joy, all people. The angel comes to the shepherds and he says, I've got good news. When you hear the word good news, or perhaps the word gospel, because that's really the word for gospel is the word used here, euangelizo, on, on uh, I bring good news. What does that term mean to you exactly? What does the good news, the gospel, mean to you? Some might say it means that God has a plan for your life. Or it means that Jesus has died for your sins so you can be forgiven and go to heaven one day. Or you might say the gospel is maybe the entry level into Christianity. It's the diving board in which you leap leap off to get into the life of God. I'm not going to argue with any of those thoughts, but the biblical word for gospel actually refers to a message of good news. It's a declaration of something that has happened. And it's not just any news. That word gospel is used most often to refer about important events regarding rulers in their kingdom in the ancient world. When King David wins a battle, uh, there is... Uh, it tells us that this is good news because it means he is still reigning on the throne. When King Solomon is made king over Israel, a good news announcement is spread throughout the whole land. Gospel is a royal term reporting good news about a ruler who is in charge. And so when the angels come and when they say they bring good news, they're making a royal proclamation. All this time you've been waiting I'm here to tell you now it's happened tonight. This very night, there has been a new king to arrive. This is a royal proclamation. There is a victory here now because the king is here. The gospel is the good news about a king named Jesus who came, and he lived, and he died, and he's buried, and he's resurrected, and he ascends into heaven, and the gospel is that now this king, this is a very public announcement with huge personal implications for everyone who lives under his rule. And so the good news, it, there's three things that it says about this king that has come. Who is this king? It says that he is a savior. The angel said he's a savior and he is Christ the Lord. He's a savior. He's Christ the Lord. First, it says a savior has been born to you. Jesus is a savior. Now I asked this question last week and I I'm, I'm still thinking about this question. But the question is if he is a savior, what is he saving you from? Or even better, what do you want to be saved from? And the name Jesus is clear what he came to save us from. What did he come to save us from? Matthew's gospel tells us his name is Jesus because he has come to save us from our sin. What does that mean? It means he doesn't come just to save us from discomfort, although he will comfort you when you mourn. He didn't come to make us rich and prosperous. I mean, look at Joseph and Mary and the situation they're in. They can't even find a proper place to have their baby. They're not prospering or rich, but you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies because of him. He doesn't come to make our life pain-free. He comes to save us, From us, (laughs) he comes to save us from our sins, and this is the way he saves is so different than how we thought he was going to save. He doesn't save by the sword, but actually he himself is pierced for our transgressions. He doesn't crush the political enemies of of the Jews, but he himself is crushed for our iniquities. And his crushing is our victory. Because his crushing is actually when he crushes the head of that ancient serpent, the dragon, the devil. And he knows. See, Jesus knows if that he were to come with a sword, if he were to come and to do away with all the evil in the world, if he were to do that and come in judgment the first time, then what he would have to do was to come and get rid of me and to get rid of you because the evil that he comes to deal with in the world is not just in the world, but it's an evil that lurks in my own heart. And so he comes in such a way that he can deal with the evil in my own heart and he can save me from that sin that lurks within and he doesn't have to destroy me, but he can save a sinner like me. He's a savior. And it says he is Christ, which is uh, Christ. And, you know, it's a funny joke, but Christ is not Jesus's last name. I mean, it's, it's Jesus's mom and dad is not Mary Christ and Joseph Christ. I mean, it's not Jesus's last name. Christ is a title. Christ is um, it's an office that one would hold. Another word for Christ is Messiah. And so if you go back and read through the Old Testament, you will see that uh, you could hold a title or an office like a president, uh, like a president holds an office. It's it literally is translated the anointed one. So when a king or a priest or even a prophet in the Old Testament would take their position, would take their office office, if you will, there would be oil that was poured over their head, and this was an anointing ceremony. They were to be ordained of God, and they would hold that office and that title, and they would have authority to operate as king or as priest or prophet. And there is, in the Old Testament, there is a a prophecy, many prophecies about a Messiah, about an anointed one And the Jewish people are aching for an anointed one to appear. And the job description of the anointed one is that he is going to do God's business in the world. That he's going to set the world right. That he's going to deliver from enemies. It's a title given to one in a position. It was a, that's a political leader that's going to come and to be fair and just and to have integrity. And don't we all long for a political leader who is fair and just and has integrity and will do what they say they're going to do. And so all of really Israel is looking for this savior. And God promises Abraham that one of his descendants Will be this Savior, will be this Messiah. A ruler will come from Jacob or Judah, Genesis 49 tells us. And a ruler's gonna come and he's gonna rule with a scepter in his hand and all the nations will honor him. And so Israel's been looking for this king, but yet one by one, all the kings of Israel fall well short of being a good, just, righteous king who destroys evil. In fact, all of the kings in the Old Testament, all of the ones who were anointed, all of the ones who have the oil poured over their head, the evil in the world ends up destroying them. The Old Testament ends and no such king has come. Why couldn't the anointed kings of the Old Testament be the ones that God has called? Why couldn't they do away with evil? And the reason they couldn't do away with evil, it was because their own hearts were full of evil. Israel needed a leader who would put the interest of the people above their own selfish desires and ambitions, but they never got that leader. Yet here is Jesus, the Christ, the leader we've been looking for. And he he leads and he rules justly, but he does it by putting others first. He does it by laying down his life, not by being selfish and sinful. The other Messiahs would-be couldn't save us because of the own evil in their own heart. And it says he is Christ, the Lord, the Lord. He is, quite literally, Yahweh. There's only one who is qualified to deal with the problem of evil. And the only one who is qualified to deal with the problem of evil is the one who hasn't himself been infected with the evil. And the only one who hasn't been affected is Yahweh, God himself. If you remember, this year we studied the name of Yahweh. It's God's personal name that he reveals to Moses. If you remember, the name of Yahweh is so holy... That in Hebrew, they don't even speak it. And actually, in your Bible, when you come across scriptures, a lot of times it will say the Lord. It's really Yahweh in Hebrew, but it's actually, it'll say the Lord in all capital letters. Because they would substitute the word Lord for Yahweh. Uh, And that word in Hebrew is Adonai, but in Greek, it's that word kurios. And that is the word that is used here of Jesus. It says he is Christ the Lord, kurios. So it's very clear what Luke is doing here. Luke is saying that Jesus is Yahweh in the flesh. Literally that Jesus is God. This is a big deal. The writers of the gospel are giving Jesus divine status. Yahweh is that name that is revealed to Moses in Exodus 3. And if you look at the word, it's in the causative form. Okay, we're going to get into Hebrew grammar a little bit. The causative form of the Hebrew verb hayah, which is to be, like hayah, like karate chop. It's in the causative form. When you put something in the causative form, what you're saying is that one thing causes another thing to happen. This thing causes another thing to happen. So the verb to be in the causative form really could be translated, I cause to exist. When God says, I am Yahweh, this is my name, what is he telling Moses? He's saying, I am that I am. I am the one. I am the great cause of all other causes. Everything exists because of me. Yahweh could perhaps be translated as the causer of all things. God reveals himself to Moses, and I am that I am. What does that mean? It means he's not defined by anything outside of himself. He doesn't come from anything. He is the only one. That can identify who he is. He doesn't need anything else to identify him. He alone is identified in himself. He is self-sufficient. He is independent. He is autonomous. And then in relation to the world that he speaks into existence from nothing, he is Yahweh. He is the causer of all things. So when it's Jesus Christ, the Lord, the one who causes all things and calls all things into existence, he actually writes himself into our story. He makes his dwelling among us. And listen, this is not a fable. This is not a story. Like if, if Luke, when he's writing this gospel, if he wanted this to be a fable with just a moral point behind it, he would start out his story by something like, uh, hey, in a galaxy far, far away, uh, in a land, uh, or however Star Wars, a long, long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. That's how he would have started this. But that's not how he starts it. Go back and read Luke 1. He says, this is an eyewitness account. I am telling you eyewitness. And then he takes the, the trouble to tell us about governors that are in rulership and the emperor and, and, he, and, and all these names, specific people. He is giving us an actual point in history. What I'm telling you today is all the, it's so important that we realize this and we celebrate this on Christmas, that there was actually a point in time, the fullness of time where God, the causer of all things, Yahweh, steps out of eternity and literally steps into the history of mankind. The causer of all things comes. And he is the Messiah. Israel's been looking for the leader with the utmost integrity and wisdom and power and counsel and might. And he comes to save us from our sins today, this day. A Savior has been born in the city of David, and he is Christ the Lord. This is good news. And it says, this is good news of great joy. I love this because in the Greek, the word great is megalos. Uh, So this is great joy. This is mega joy. Joy is what the angel says. He says, This is this cause, what has happened. It's not just a, a little bit of joy, it's not just a dose of joy, but this is mega joy. I don't know about you, but I like things that are mega. Okay, our church is like a mile from Sonic, and that's one of my favorite things to do is to go to Sonic to get a Route 44 Coke Zero Advanilla Easy Ice. Okay, it's not when I go to Sonic, I don't want a small, I don't want a medium. I don't want a large. I want the mega. I want the Route 44. I get the mega option. And Christmas is not small, medium, or large. Christmas Christmas is the mega Route 44 joy option. Christmas is about mega joy. God is a God of mega joy. Listen, I know the world is dark. I know the world is full of despair. But God is light, and he lights up darkness. The circumstances that we walk through at times can be bleak, but God is the God of joy. How do I know God is the God of joy? Just read the Bible. In the Old Testament, think about this. In the Old Testament, for Jewish people, in the calendar year, there are seven annual festivals that the Jews would celebrate. Seven. God worked it into their yearly rhythm into their yearly schedule, he was like, hey, I need you guys seven times a year to celebrate these feasts. Now, some of the feasts are somber events like the Day of Atonement, but but many of the feasts are to be feasts of mega joy. He says, I want you to celebrate, and I want you to have a good time. One of those feasts is Passover. What do they do at Passover? They would go back, and they would rehearse the story of how God had saved them from the Egyptians. They would go back and retell the story of salvation, and they were to celebrate salvation with mega joy. You know, one of the things Ashton and I did this year um, that we had never done is we went to McKay's, and we went and found a couple of copies of A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. So we've seen the movies every which way, the Muppets version, the Jim Carrey version, the... Uh, scrooge the bill murray version i mean we've seen everybody's version but we'd actually never read the story the charles dickens story so we read it and one of the things that when i was reading it that was just kind of taken by is this the joy that scrooge experiences when he wakes up from that last visit of that third spirit the gift of christmas future Remember what his future in the, he goes through and he sees what his future is. He sees a grave and he's literally being pulled into that grave by that spirit and he is terrified. But then all of a sudden he comes to and he realizes that he's hanging on to a bedpost instead of the the finger of that spirit. And the relief that comes over Scrooge and he has a second chance at life overwhelms him. And I love what Scrooge says. He says this in the book. He says, I don't know what to do, cried Scrooge, laughing and crying in the same breath. He said, I'm as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. Merry Christmas to everybody and a happy new year to all the world. A little bit later, it says this about Scrooge, when he laughs, he says, the chuckle with which he said this and the chuckle with which he paid for the turkey and the chuckle with which he paid for the cab and the chuckle with which he recompensed the boy were only to ex- be exceeded by the chuckle with which he sat down breathless in the chair again and he chuckled till he cried. Uh, the, just the overwhelming, great joy. And I want you to know that the overwhelming, great joy of Scrooge it's not that his situation has changed. It's not that he won the lottery all of a sudden. He was already rich, right? He already had these things. It's not like he found the love of his life. No, the, 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 the relief and the joy that he has is the chance at a second life. The chance that his, his future is not the grave. His chance that his future is not over. I like what Nathan Finocchio says. About Scrooge. He says, Scrooge wakes up from the nightmare as a different man. He says, have you ever had a nightmare and then you wake up and you're relieved that it's not true? That's what Jesus calls the good news. Jesus came to tell the world that everyone who had a horrible past and that our present is worse than we think and that our future, if we don't receive his mercy, is hell. Christmas is about waking up from, the, from that nightmare and being grateful that Jesus came to deal with all of the sin and the rebellion and the pain and the brokenness that we are caught up in. When Scrooge woke up, he was filled with the magic of Christmas, which is waking up and being grateful for God's gift of a new life. He feasted, he gave recklessly, and he reconciled with his family. The joy, how can we have great joy when the world seems dark, when your situation seems dark? How can we have great joy? Great joy comes when we wake up to the realization that the nightmare of a future without God, the nightmare of hell, Jesus dealt with it, and he saves us from our sins. And how can we have joy today? I think we can have joy by going back and simply rehearsing the goodness of God, the story of salvation. Go back today and rehearse the story of waking up from the nightmare of sin. Go back and let gratitude fill your heart that your past sins have been dealt with, that God is with you in the present and your future is secured in Christ. You know, I've been doing that even some this week as I know the year is coming to an end. And there's been some times over the past few weeks where I've been pretty down. I don't know if it's 14 days without seeing the sun there at the beginning of December, but I've had some pretty down days, and I can't tell you why. Just, just down. And one of the things I've been doing, one of the things I've been practicing, and I promise you it's been helping me. I've been going back, and I've been thinking about the stories of some of you. Some of you waking up from the nightmare. Some of you encountering the love of Jesus. I'm, think, I'm thinking about a, a young lady who's a basketball player at UTC who really got saved this past year. And she got baptized one Sunday here at our church. And she brought the entire team, basketball team, to see her get baptized. And many of her friends responded to the gospel that day that was preached. I rejoice in that. I think about another person that used to be known in our city as one of the greatest partiers in all the city, would throw wild parties and... This man got baptized, and he's in church every week, and he brings his grandkids. I'm thinking about another young man who was a terrible alcoholic and struggling, literally drinking his life away at the point of death. But he cried out to God, and God has saved his soul and restored his health. I'm thinking about a young man who doesn't come from necessarily a a home that is... uh, Super Christian, I would say. I mean, I I believe they're believers, but maybe not super Christian. But this young man has found the the Lord has found him. The Lord has changed him. The Lord set his heart on fire and called this young man into ministry. I'm thinking about teenagers in our own church. I've seen them pray for one another and even speak words of prophecy over one another this year. I'm thankful for my own son that God spared his life earlier this year. God has been faithful. And just like the Israelites were to go back and to rehearse the story of their salvation, we need to go back and to remember and to rehearse the good things, the goodness of God. Don't let despair creep in. Don't let discouragement creep in. But God is a God of mega joy. Christmas is the, 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 the story of mega joy. And it's not mega joy because our situations are all right. It's not mega joy because everything is perfect. It's mega joy because Jesus has stepped into our story. And here's the last one. Good news, great joy, all people. All people. He said this message will be a message for all people. How fitting for this to be my last point of my last sermon in 2022. Because all people has been our theme this year. And we're honestly, we're gonna keep it rolling into 2023. We're just gonna add a little bit to it. 2023 is gonna be about hope for all people. The angel says, this is good news, great joy, all people. What I love about Luke's gospel is that it shows us all the people that the angels passed up and went around to tell, the shep- to tell the shepherds, this is good news. Think about it. It talks about Caesar Augustus, who's the emperor of Rome. It talks about Corinius, who's the governor of Syria. And then in the next chapter, chapter 3, uh, Luke goes through great uh, detail. He talks about... Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, Philip the Tetrarch, and it goes through all these people, the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas. I mean, these are all people in Luke's gospel that are major players on the world stage. They're the most powerful people in any room they walk in. They represent the secular elite. They represent the religious elite. But what I love about Luke's gospel, what I love about God, what I love about the scripture is this, is that... The good news bypasses all those powerful, important people. And the word of God comes to poor shepherds out in the field. And the word of God comes to a, 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 a nomad named John the Baptist who lives out in the wilderness. And this is the message of Christmas. It's this. You don't have to be the most known. You don't have to be the most popular to be used of God. You don't have to be the one with all the influence, with all the power. No, God's just looking for people that are actually okay being nobodies, that are actually okay being ordinary. These people were important and they were powerful and they were visible, but God's not interested in people who just want to build their own influence and have their own agendas. God is looking for normal people who will just live their lives for his kingdom. I mean, Mary and Joseph are simple, ordinary people. There's nothing significant about Mary. There's nothing about Mary, okay? She's normal. She's a girl from Nazareth. Nazareth is not famous for anything. It holds no significance in the Old Testament. It's not Jerusalem. It's not Rome. It's backwater Nazareth. And yet, in her common, even insignificant life, she's a nobody. The angel of the Lord appears to this nobody and says, Rejoice, O favored one of the Lord. He is with you. Mary is insignificant, but her obedience is not. It's extraordinary. And the story of Christmas is that God comes not to the powerful, not to the elite, not to the most influential or affluent. He actually comes just common people. He comes to shepherds. Israel's been waiting almost 600 years for the glory of the Lord to return. And in Luke chapter 2, we're told that the glory of the Lord comes. And it shines around. Who? A bunch of shepherds out in the field, keeping their sheep by night. The glory comes to these common, ordinary people. Heaven breaks in on them. He is for all people. Ordinary, common, everyday people. We'll end with this thought these shepherds that are out in the field. Um, There's a man, last name, his name's Edersheim. He's written a book called The Life and Times of Jesus. And Edersheim postulates or believes that these shepherds who are watching these sheep on the outskirts of Bethlehem are actually possibly priestly shepherds. What does that mean? On the outskirts of Bethlehem, there was actually a shepherding community known as the Tower of the Flock, the Migdal Eater. And there is an actual tower that shepherds would take sheep out of the elements to protect them. They would bring them to the tower in safety because these were priestly shepherds and they were raising special lambs. They're right outside Jerusalem. They're raising these lambs for the special use of temple sacrifice. And so these Shepherds had special skills. They were trained to keep these temple lambs unblemished. If you remember, lambs sacrificed at the temple every morning, every night. Had to be lambs that were without blemish. And so their job was to keep these special lambs safe and without blemish. And these are royal lambs handpicked for special occasions. Occasions like the Passover, rehearsing the story of salvation. And so the priestly lambs, their job was to actually inspect the lamb and to make sure the lamb is spotless, to make sure the lamb is without blemish. And one of the things these priestly shepherds would routinely do is they would take male lambs and they would wrap them in swaddling cloths so they couldn't move and stay safe. And they would lay them in a hollowed out limestone rock known as a manger. And they would lay those newborn lambs there so they couldn't move around and so when when the shepherds come to jesus and they find jesus he's here's this king he's christ the lord they've been told they go and they find him and they see a familiar sight they see a newborn wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger these are the shepherds that inspect spotless lambs for sacrifice and here are these shepherds again and they look upon God's lamb the lamb of God who will take away the sins of the world who would be the perfect sacrifice for our sins the one who had not been blemished by sin he could deal with our problem that we couldn't deal with and so we see from Mary's womb to the resurrected to the tomb and the resurrection of Jesus we see what is that work here he has come To be crushed. He has come to be a sacrifice. He has come to be our spotless Lamb. And I say today, on this Christmas day, I know we're opening gifts and we're eating dinners and we're having fun and that's all good, but I say this day, why don't you take some time and let's do what that song says? Oh, come, let us adore him today, the spotless Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. Father, we thank you. I thank you for all the great things that you've done in 2022 i thank you lord jesus for the good news of the messiah i thank you that you're a god of great joy lord i pray you would help us even when we want to despair help us not to go to despair but to lead us into times of joy and refreshing from your presence and lord help us to carry this gospel into all the world because it's for all people the common the ordinary the nobodies you reveal yourself to them and they receive you as their king. Lord, we just thank you for a year that's been marked by your presence. We ask that you would mark 2023. Lord, let us go and see the kingdom of God come and your will be done this year. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Thank you so much. Merry Christmas. Hey, and happy new year. Be safe this week. We are having church, 9 and 11 on New Year's Day, and then right here, 10 a.m., on Virtual Church.